volume two chapter nineteen of travels in the interior of africa by mungo park this librivox recording is in the public domain illness at Kamalia and kindness of the natives the town of sibi dulu is situated in a fertile valley surrounded with high rocky hills it is scarcely accessible for horses and during the frequent wars between the bambarans fulas and mandingos has never once been plundered by an enemy when i entered the town the people gathered round me and followed me into the balloon where i was presented to the duty or chief man who is here called mansa which usually signifies king nevertheless it appeared to me that the government of manding was a sort of republic or rather an oligarchy every town having a particular mansa and the chief power of the state in the last resort being lodged in the assembly of the whole body i related to the mansa the circumstances of my having been robbed of my horse and apparel and my story was confirmed by the two shepherds he continued smoking his pipe all the time i was speaking but i had no sooner finished than taking his pipe from his mouth and tossing up the sleeve of his cloak with an indignant air sit down said he you shall have everything restored to you i have sworn it and then turning to an attendant give the white man said he a draught of water and with the first light of the morning go over the hills and inform the duty of bambaku that a poor white man the king of bambara's stranger has been robbed by the king of fuladu's people a little expected in my forlorn condition to meet with a man who could thus feel for my sufferings i heartily thanked the mansa for his kindness and accepted his invitation to remain with him until the return of the messenger i was conducted into a hut and had some victuals sent me but the crowd of people which assembled to see me all of whom commiserated my misfortunes and vented imprecations against the fulas prevented me from sleeping until past midnight two days i remained without hearing any intelligence of my horse or clothes and as there was at this time a great scarcity of provisions approaching even to famine all over this part of the country i was unwilling to trespass any farther on the mansa's generosity and begged permission to depart to the next village finding me very anxious to proceed he told me that i might go as far as a town called wanda where he hoped i would remain a few days until i heard some account of my horse etc i departed accordingly on the next morning the twenty eighth and stopped at some small villages for refreshment i was presented at one of them with a dish which i had never before seen it was composed of the blossoms or anthere 
of the maize stewed in milk and water it is eaten only in time of great scarcity on the thirtieth about noon i arrived at wanda a small town with a mosque and surrounded by a high wall the mansa who was a mohammedan acted in two capacities as chief magistrate of the town and schoolmaster to the children he kept his school in an open shed where i was desired to take up my lodging until some account should arrive from sibi dulu concerning my horse and clothes for though the horse was of little use to me yet the few clothes were essential the little raiment upon me could neither protect me from the sun by day nor the dews and mosquitoes by night indeed my shirt was not only worn thin like a piece of muslin but withal so very dirty that i was happy to embrace an opportunity of washing it which having done and spread it upon a bush i sat down naked in the shade until it was dry ever since the commencement of the rainy season my health had been greatly on the decline i had often been affected with slight paroxysms of fever and from the time of leaving bam aku the symptoms had considerably increased as i was sitting in the manner described the fever returned with such violence that it very alarmed me the more so as i had no medicine to stop its progress nor any hope of obtaining that care and attention which my situation required i remained at wanda nine days during which time i experienced the regular return of the fever every day and though i endeavoured as much as possible to conceal my distress from my landlord and frequently lay down the whole day out of his sight in a field of corn conscious how burdensome i was to him and his family in a time of such great scarcity yet i found that he was apprised of my situation and one morning as i feigned to be asleep by the fire he observed to his wife that they were likely to find me a very troublesome and chargeable guest for that in my present sickly state they should be obliged for the sake of their good name to maintain me until i recovered or died the scarcity of provisions was certainly felt at the time most severely by the poor people as the following circumstance most painfully convinced me every evening during my stay i observed five or six women come to the mansa's house and receive each of them a certain quantity of corn as i knew how valuable this article was at this juncture i inquired of the mansa whether he maintained these poor women from pure bounty or expected a return when the harvest should be gathered in observe that boy said he pointing to a fine child about five years of age his mother has sold him to me for forty days provision for herself and the rest of her family i have bought another boy in the same manner good god thought i what must a mother suffer before she sells her own child 
i could not get this melancholy subject out of my mind and the next night when the women returned for their allowance i desired the boy to point out to me his mother which he did she was much emaciated but had nothing cruel or savage in her countenance and when she had received her corn she came and talked to her son with as much cheerfulness as if he had still been under her care september six two people arrived from sibadulu bringing with them my horse and clothes but i found that my pocket compass was broken to pieces this was a great loss which i could not repair september seventh as my horse was grazing near the brink of a well the ground gave way and fell in the well was about ten feet in diameter and so very deep that when i saw my horse snorting in the water i thought it was impossible to save him the inhabitants of the village however immediately assembled and having tied together a number of weeds footnote from a plant called kaba that climbs like a vine upon the tree End footnote. they lowered a man down into the well who fastened those weeds round the body of the horse and the people having first drawn up the man took hold of the weeds and to my surprise pulled the horse out with the greatest facility the poor animal was now reduced to a mere skeleton and the roads were scarcely passable being either very rocky or else full of mud and water i therefore found it impractical to travel with him any farther and was happy to leave him in the hands of one who i thought would take care of him i accordingly presented him to my landlord and desired him to send my saddle and bridle as a present to the mansa of sibidulu being the only return i could make him for having taken so much trouble in procuring my horse and clothes i now thought it necessary sick as i was to take leave of my hospitable landlord on the morning of september eighth when i was about to depart he presented me with his spear as a token of remembrance and a leather bag to contain my clothes having converted my half-boots into sandals i travelled with more ease and slept that night at a village called balanti on the ninth i reached nemaku but the mansa of the village thought fit to make me sup upon the chameleon's dish by way of apology however he assured me the next morning that the scarcity of corn was such that he could not possibly allow me any i could not accuse him of unkindness as all the people actually appeared to be starving september tenth it rained hard all day and the people kept themselves in their huts in the afternoon i was visited by a negro named modi lamina tora a great trader who suspected my distress brought me some victuals and promised to conduct me to his own house at kinyeto the day following september eleventh i departed from nemaku and arrived at kinyeto in the evening 
but having hurt my ankle in the way it swelled and inflamed so much that i could neither walk nor set my foot to the ground the next day without great pain my landlord observing this kindly invited me to stop with him a few days and i accordingly remained at his house until the fourteenth by which i felt much relieved and could walk with the help of staff i now set out thanking my landlord for his great care and attention and being accompanied by a young man who was travelling the same way i proceeded for jerry jang a beautiful and well-cultivated district the mansa of which is reckoned the most powerful chief of any in manding on the fifteenth i reached dosita a large town where i stayed one day on account of the rain but i continued very sickly and was slightly delirious in the night on the seventeenth i set out for mansia a considerable town where small quantities of gold are collected the road led over a high rocky hill and my strength and spirits were so much exhausted that before i could reach the top of the hill i was forced to lie down three times being very faint and sickly i reached mansia in the afternoon the mansa of this town had the character of being very inhospitable he however sent me a little corn for my supper but demanded something in return and when i assured him that i had nothing of value in my possession he told me as if in jest that my white skin should not defend me if i told him lies he then showed me the hut wherein i was to sleep but took away my spear saying that it should be returned to me in the morning this trifling circumstance when joined to the character i had heard of the man made me rather suspicious of him and i privately desired one of the inhabitants of the place who had a bow and quiver to sleep in the same hut with me about midnight i heard somebody approach the door and observing the moonlight strike suddenly into the hut i started up and saw a man stepping cautiously over the threshold i immediately snatched up the negro's bow and quiver the rattling of which made the man withdraw and my companion looking out assured me that it was the mansa himself and advised me to keep awake until the morning i closed the door and placed a large piece of wood behind it and was wondering at this unexpected visit when somebody pressed so hard against the door that the negro could scarcely keep it shut but when i called to him to open the door the intruder ran off as before september sixteenth as soon as it was light the negro at my request went to the mansa's house and brought away my spear he told me that the mansa was asleep and lest this inhospitable chief should devise means to detain me he advised me to set out before he was awake which i immediately did and about two o'clock reached Kamalia, a small town situated at the bottom of some rocky hills 
where the inhabitants collect gold in considerable quantities on my arrival at kamalia i was conducted to the house of the bushreen named karfa tower the brother of him to whose hospitality i was indebted at kinikeo he was collecting a coffle of slaves with a view to sell them to the europeans on the gambia as soon as the rain should be over i found him sitting in his balloon surrounded by several slatees who proposed to join the coffle he was reading to them from an arabic book and inquired with a smile if i understood it being answered in the negative he desired one of the slatees to fetch the little curious book which had been brought from the west country on opening the small volume i was surprised and delighted to find it our book of common prayer and karfa expressed great joy to hear that i could read it for some of the slatees who had seen the europeans upon the coast observing the color of my skin which was now become very yellow from sickness my long beard ragged clothes and extreme poverty were unwilling to admit that i was a white man and told karfa that they suspected i was some arab in disguise karfa however perceiving that i could read this book had no doubt concerning me and kindly promised me every assistance in his power at the same time he informed me that it was impossible to cross the jalonka wilderness for many months yet to come as no less than eight rapid rivers he said lay in the way he added that he intended to set out himself for gambia as soon as the rivers were fordable and the grass burnt and advised me to stay and accompany him he remarked that when a caravan of the natives could not travel through the country it was idle for a single white man to attempt it i readily admitted that such an attempt was an act of rashness but i assured him that i had no alternative for having no money to support myself i must either beg my subsistence by travelling from place to place or perish for want karfa now looked at me with great earnestness and inquired if i could eat the common victuals of the country assuring me that he had never before seen a white man he added that if i would remain with him until the rains were over he would give me plenty of victuals in the meantime and a hut to sleep in and that after he had conducted me in safety to the gambia i might then make him what return i thought proper i asked him if the value of one prime slave would satisfy him he answered in the affirmative and immediately ordered one of the huts to be swept for my accommodation thus i was delivered by the friendly care of this benevolent negro from a situation truly deplorable distress and famine pressed hard on me i had before me the gloomy wilds of jalon Cado, where the traveller sees no habitation for five successive days 
i had observed at a distance the rapid course of the river kokoro i had almost marked out the place where i was doomed i thought to perish when this friendly negro stretched out his hospitable hand for my relief in the hut which was appropriated for me i was provided with a mat to sleep on an earthen jar for holding water and a small calabash to drink out of and carfa sent me from his own dwelling two meals a day and ordered his slaves to supply me with firewood and water but i found that neither the kindness of carfa nor any sort of accommodation could put a stop to the fever which weakened me and which became every day more alarming i endeavoured as much as possible to conceal my distress but on the third day after my arrival as i was going with carfa to visit some of his friends i found myself so faint that i could scarcely walk and before we reached the place i staggered and fell into a pit from which the clay had been taken to build one of the huts carfa endeavoured to console me with the hopes of a speedy recovery assuring me that if i would not walk out in the wet i should soon be well i determined to follow his advice and confine myself to my hut but was still tormented with the fever and my health continued to be in a very precarious state for five ensuing weeks sometimes i would crawl out of the hut and sit a few hours in the open air at other times i was unable to rise and pass the lingering hours in a very gloomy and solitary manner i was seldom visited by any person except my benevolent landlord who came daily to inquire after my health when the rains became less frequent and the country began to grow dry the fever left me but in so debilitated a condition that i could scarcely stand upright and it was with great difficulty that i could carry my mat to the shade of a tamarind tree a short distance to enjoy the refreshing smell of the cornfields and delight my eyes with a prospect of the country i had the pleasure at length to find myself in a state of convalescence towards which the benevolent and simple manners of the negroes and the perusal of carfe's little volume greatly contributed in the meantime many of the slatties who reside at camilla having spent all their money and become in a great measure dependent upon carfa's hospitality beheld me with an eye of envy and invented many ridiculous and trifling stories to lessen me in carfa's esteem and in the beginning of december a surawoolly slattee with five slaves arrived from sego this man too spread a number of malicious reports concerning me but carfa paid no attention to them and continued to show me the same kindness as formerly as i was one day conversing with the slaves which this slattee had brought one of them begged me to give him some victuals i told him i was a stranger and had none to give he replied i gave you victuals when you were hungry have you forgot the man who brought you milk at 
Karakankala? But, added he with a sigh, the irons were not then upon my legs. I immediately recollected him and begged some ground nuts from Karfa to give him as a return for his former kindness. In the beginning of December, Karfa proposed to complete his purchase of slaves, and for this purpose collected all the debts which were owing to him in his own country, and on the 19th, being accompanied by three slatees, he departed for Kankaba, a large town on the banks of the Niger, and a great slave market. Most of the slaves who are sold at Kankaba come from Bambara, for Masong, to avoid the expense and danger of keeping all his prisoners at Sego, commonly sends them in small parties to be sold at the different trading towns, and as Kankaba is much resorted to by merchants, it is always well supplied with slaves, which are sent thither up the Niger in canoes. When Karfa departed from Camilla, he proposed to return in the course of a month, and during his absence I was left to the care of a good old Bushreen, who acted as schoolmaster to the young people of Camilla. End of Volume 2, Chapter 19